What's up, guys? Welcome to Our Love, Our Journey podcast, where we give our two cents on relationships and things we're learning along the way. And today we got an amazingly, very awesome special guest, Versavia. What's up, B? Hi, guys. All right, guys. So we're going to actually have a video version of this. So um, this is going to be on YouTube and it also is going to be on the podcast. So um, thanks for hopping on, V. Yeah. So yeah, v, I'm really you wanna... <laughs> Good. Okay. So V, just so you guys know, is like my home, my home slice. Me and V talk at least a few times a week about just really high level dope stuff. And uh, V, if you want to introduce yourself to them and kind of let them know, um, I don't know, hobbies or what you're into or anything like that. Just a fun fact about you. Some fun oh, fact. man, putting me on the spot. Um, okay, fun <laughs> fact about me. I once biked across the country. Uh, oh. 2,606 miles in 79 days from uh, Florida to California. Oh, my God. So there we go. That's my, like, back pocket fun fact. Okay. <laughs> that's cool. I didn't know that about that's, you. Yeah, that's freaking crazy. Um, and you live in San Ran or somewhere outside of San Francisco? Yeah, in the Bay Area. Okay, cool. All right. Well, thanks for hopping on, V. This is going to be a fun combo. I can't wait. Me and V have yeah. like the dopest combos. So. Yeah, we should just cut those into, into a podcast or something. <laughs> we should. We should. All right, guys. All right, cool. All right. So today we are going to talk about what we always talk about is relationships mixed with like human behavior and things like that. And Rasavi and me both are human behavior nerds. Mm -hmm. So that's where we really bond and click is we talk about, um, you know, human behavior and functions and uh, personality traits and all that nerdy stuff. So uh, today we're going to talk about um, uh, attachment styles and love languages. So V, if you want to go ahead and open us up and kind of, let's talk about attachment styles first. So can you explain kind of in your perception or observations, like what are attachment styles and how do we know which ones that we may have? Um, yeah, so this is actually a fun topic because um, I've, I've been diving extra deep into this recently. Uh, so there are like, four main attachment styles. Um, so there's secure attachment, which is just your healthy, I guess, attachment style. Then there's the anxious attachment, which is when um, somebody, if somebody feels like there's some kind of um, problems in a particular relationship, and it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship either. It can be a platonic relationship. Um, then they get really anxious about it and they kind of become more needy and they start latching on more. Um, and then there's the avoidance style, which is kind of the opposite, uh, where there's any kind of uh, trouble in a relationship, then somebody becomes very avoidant and just totally checks out. And then uh, the last one is attachment avoidant, I mean, sorry, anxious avoidant, which from what I understand is a fairly rare one. And it's a combination of the two where someone's um, either really avoidant or really needy. Oh, okay. So they kind of go back and forth. Okay. Yeah, um, I remember somebody using the example of um, Matt Damon's character in Good Will Hunting as an example of of um, anxious avoidance, where he's avoidant, 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 and then when he does attach and kind of like gets past that hump, then he gets really anxious about it. Okay. Or wow. sometimes maybe it's the other way around. Someone's anxious, 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 and then they get avoidant. It's like, I don't know. Uh, yeah. um, I'm not well versed on that one 
Okay. That sounds interesting because I can kind of see me doing both of those, but I, I go between that and maybe the anxious. So now I guess that leads to my next question is, is how would you know? Because the hard part is we can't see ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so is this something that we can maybe possibly see in ourselves? Like the love languages we can't see, right? Like I think most people know how their love language is. So is it one, how do we know? Is it something we can see in ourselves? And then two, how do we know which one we are? Is there any way to kind of we can some theories we can walk ourselves through or anything like that so from what i know um a lot of so dr nicola Barra, the holistic psychologist who i've been binging recently um she talks a lot about how we relate to other people especially in romantic relationships is uh very reflective of how we learned to relate with our primary caregiver when we were children right Makes so sense if we never had our needs or, or if we didn't have our needs met and weren't able to securely bond with our primary caregiver, then we might have the insecure and the anxious attachment style. Um, and so I think a lot of it just kind of, um, I don't think it's quite as obvious as love languages, but right. I don't think it's as challenging as some other things can be to see. Probably it like, I think most of us, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong because like for me, my brain never stops trying to understand myself. But um, I feel like if you've been in relationships and they've gone south for whatever reason, because you know, we all have, unless, unless you married your first person, then right. we've all had relationships not work out. Um, if you look at the pattern of your relationships and why they didn't work out, you could probably spot the same themes coming out in why your relationships ended. Either you were too needy or your partner wanted more from you and you just weren't there. That right. kind of thing. Right. So, or you're very securely attached. That's also possible. Like, it, I don't know what would be how to evaluate that. I'm sorry, I don't have better tips. Yeah. Something that I see. So, I, yeah, I haven't given this any thought. Yeah. No worries. That, it's interesting. Yeah. So, what about you guys? That's what, okay. Yeah, that's what I was gonna ask. So, babe, so what do you know? Which one that you kind of um, uh, you you see yourself aligning with? Anxious. Anxious. Okay. So as soon as so, because I'm wondering how these connect to flight or flight. Like I wonder if they do connect to flight or flight. So for example, I do see whenever she feels or what I notice when she goes into a flight or flight state. I just I see when she's in survival state. She starts speaking survival language and she starts doing survival tactics right so what i mean by she'll speak survival language is she'll just be talking like in a survivalistic way it's just like um like she's defending herself and then she's trying to convince so she goes back and forth between those two it's just like no 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 that's not true this and then it's like and then she's like i, I don't that's really unclear i'm sure to a lot of people but anyways take it for how you can but like um i do see her bringing out more of the anxiousness and and and, and i mm -hmm. think that kind of combined with her flight or flight response. Yeah. So I'm wondering if the way you flight or flight, because I fight when I'm in flight or flight, she um, she doesn't freeze, she runs away. Runs away. Um, so do you think there's any connection there, B? I'm just curious. I'd never given that any thought. Um, I would have thought it'd be the opposite. Like if you map fight or flight to anxious or avoidant, then you would think that fight would be anxious in the sense that like mm. i'm gonna fight for this i'm gonna be more and more in it yeah. and that flight would be avoidant um, oh i see that 
but maybe I don't know. I haven't thought about that. Wait, Josh, you didn't say. What about you? What type? Yeah. Of you okay. And I'm glad that you said that right before, because I actually I think that's what I do. So I think I'm anxious, but I actually think I do that as well. So it's like I'm more of the convincer going to ang uh, anxious, and then she's more of the defense, like trying to convince me that she's not bad um, and things like that. Used to that's used right. to. So, so yep. she'll, she'll start taking, she'll, <laughs> so she'll start taking everything I say as she needs to defend herself and, and well, actually it's both kind of convincing. Yeah. She's trying to convince me that she's not a bad person. I'm trying to convince, what would you say I'm trying to convince? Your side? Yeah, like my perspective. So I'm trying to get her to buy my perspective. Well, we're both doing that. We're, we're probably yeah. both doing the same yeah. thing yeah. in different ways. That's, that's, that's what we all do, isn't it? Yeah. When we have a fight with somebody, regardless of the subject of the fight or who the fight is with, we're trying to convince the other person of our perspective. True. Right. Yeah. All right. I guess that's, I'm, I'm making it a bit more complex <laughs> than, than we need it to be. <laughs> yeah. So I'm trying to process on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he is. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I guess we kind of do the same thing, but she's trying to convince it more about the, I'm trying to convince the situation clarity. She's trying to convince the person. So it's like a people versus things convo. So she's like trying to convince okay. me that Go she's figure. not bad. I'm, I never try to do that. I'm just trying to get her to see where I'm coming from. Does that make sense? So my focus is on if she just understood what I'm trying to say more than she would get it. And she's like, if he just knew I was a great person, then he wouldn't be upset. <laughs> that's what, that's the main difference in us. Interesting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I so that. I I would say either the avoidant dismissive, if that's the one where you kind of go back and forth. No, this one is. Or the avoidant fearful. Yeah. So it's like I can be dismissive, but you would be able to tell better than I. Do I am I more defensive or am I more anxious or do I go back and forth between the two? I'd say back and forth. Back and forth between the two. Yeah, I can see me doing either yeah. or. Interesting. I find it interesting that Alex and I both knew right away. Like, I mean, I'm I'm anxious. Um, yeah. My attachment style is anxious for like anxious, 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 anxious. And then once I get securely attached to someone, then it's secure. But it like yeah. takes me a while to get to secure attachment. Um, yeah. But I knew, and Alex, we, we both knew, we're like, oh yeah, we're anxious. So maybe, maybe one of the qualities of it is that like the anxious attachment style like knows that they're needy. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Josh, I, mean, I don't. I don't know you nearly as well as Alex does, but I don't know if I would say that you're anxious attachment style. I've never seen that kind of neediness from you. If anything, yeah. say, especially based on what you've shared with me from your history, I would probably say you lean more avoidant or maybe secure. Well. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. It, it it depends how real it's getting. Probably, um, I think if it's getting like extremely real, then I might go into a little bit of the anxiousness. Um, but until then, I'm not. I think that's mutually exclusive. You know, like I'm I have anxious attachment style, but I'm also a runner. Like when when shit gets right. real and I'm scared, my instinct is to run away. Yeah. You know? So like it. It's not one or the other. In reality, it's a combination of both. And there are times when we're securely attached, and there yeah. we all have triggers and yeah. things that bring out different kinds of insecurities in us, yeah. right? So it's never right. one or the other. I think it's more of 
what is the straw that breaks the camel's back? Right. Right. Like, when right. Your relationship ends. Is it ending because I was too needy? Is it ending because I was never there? And because anytime my partner and I needed to sit down and have a conversation, my response was fuck this shit. Right? Okay. Like some people, that's how they approach it. And then other people right. can approach it with, oh my God, we're having a fight. Let me go do this and let me go do this and let me go do this. And they become too there, you know? Oh, so right. Okay. The camel's back. That's great. Okay. Yeah. In that case, if we're going off that philosophy, then she would be anxious. I would be probably the more secure, maybe. Um, and sometimes going into dis dismissiveness, but more the secure, I'd say, because especially the more that I've grown myself and I trust myself, um, Ed Millette said self-esteem is just self-trust. And I do notice that for myself. So I really trust myself on being alone, um, trust myself on being okay no matter what. And um, I think that keeps me out of that anxious place for the most part. I know I'm good. Be vulnerable with people? Because trusting <laughs> yeah. yourself is more than just that, right? Like, because if you just trust yourself to be alone, then that's avoided. But if you trust yourself to be vulnerable with somebody and to still be okay if somebody doesn't embrace that vulnerability, then that's secure. Um, I would say it's all morphing. <laughs> okay. So I would say those are three yeah, stages for me. So I started anxious, then it went to more uh, uh, avoidance, and I'm getting to more secure. So I would say that's where my path is going. So I'm getting for closer and closer to the secure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but as far as like being extremely vulnerable with someone, that's the hardest thing in the world for me. Um, so I don't know if I'm like- The definition of vulnerability is that it's, it's courage, it's taking a risk. So it's definitely yeah. a challenging thing for all of us. Yeah. yeah, right. Yep. Okay. So, okay. So V, so is there some practical use that we can give the listeners? So it's like, if, if say somebody has figured out their attachment style, do you have any, one, is there, is it helpful to be able to dip into all of the pots or do you think if everyone just sticks into one of the pots and then as far as that goes, and then like, what is the practical ways of like using that? So like, how is this information going to be useful when somebody figures this out? Well, I think, I mean, I think like with a lot of things, awareness is half the problem. I mean, awareness is half the solution, right? If you know what the problem is, what the real problem is, then you can go about it. So if our attachment styles are reflective of how we learned to attach how we learned to relate to people when we were really young. And uh, we know, that, like, for example, if I know that I get very needy in relationships, then uh, when I'm in a relationship and when I'm feeling insecure, if I bring mindfulness to it and I'm aware of that, say I have a fight with my partner, um, then I can realize that if, if I can bring the mindfulness to it, I can realize that that is what's happening in that moment and remind myself of that, that like, hey, I had a fight and my instinct, my how I learned to relate to the world is by going and, oh, what's wrong? Oh, what's going on? Tell me, can we talk about it? Like not being able to chill out until we, yes. <laughs> <laughs> just not being able to chill out until everything is settled again, because there's so much anxiety in that unsettlement. If I, realize that that is how I react, then if I bring mindfulness into it, then when the fight happens, when I'm feeling the insecurity, I can bring in a different behavior in that moment. And what that behavior is, is 
you know, whatever it is that is previously discussed with a partner. Usually it's probably giving them space to figure out whatever it is. And, and kind of like I trust the process thing, you know, like trust that like, even if in that moment, everything in me is screaming to go and fix it right now, right now, it needs to be fixed right now. Like that's what my instinct is. I can just tell myself to chill out, right? Or if, if it's the opposite, if you have more of an avoidant uh, style, then if everything in you is screaming to just run away and take space and like, this is like, no, don't let them in, can't be vulnerable with them, that's how you get hurt. Like if everything in you is screaming that, then when you notice that behavior, then you can, again, like bring some mindfulness into it. And when you notice that that's a behavior that you're engaging in, you have an opportunity to approach it differently. So in that moment, it's, it's like, you know, if I have a fight with my partner and I have an avoidance style and my instinct is to storm out and just take space and disappear for a couple of days or not answer any texts or whatever it is, then in that moment, I can go take some space, cool off, but then in, in an hour or whatever, communicate with my partner and say, hey, I need to take some space right now. I will be back tonight and we can talk about it then or whatever it is, you know, mm -hmm. and communicate in that instead of just running away and throwing up walls. So to me, it sounds like it may be a good strategy to get familiar with all of them and try to use them all strategically. So it's like, sometimes I think it's important to be secure attachment, but sometimes it's also important to be, you know, maybe a little bit more of, I guess, the, the traits of an anxious person, because maybe you need to show more love in that moment, show that you care more, as opposed to just always getting up and wanting to leave. So it seems to me like the value would maybe in all understanding all four and then understanding, you know, when to use each of them, maybe. Does that, does, does that ring? Yes and no. I would say that it's a spectrum, right? If, if, it's, if it's on a line, you have avoidant on one end, anxious on the other end, and secure is in the middle. And if you're always on one end, mm. then you want to bring it back more centered, right? And mm -hmm. if you're always on the other end, you also want to bring it back to more in the mm -hmm. middle. If you're constantly bouncing from extreme to extreme, then you want to try and moderate that and stay in the middle. So mm -hmm. the goal is always to bring it to secure attachment style, right? Okay. So, Got it. Like, like I said, it's not like you are one way and that's it. Right. Every situation is going to be different and it's going to bring out different things in you. So it's just kind of like, so if you're avoidant, then bring it's not that you want to bring anxiety or an anxious attachment style or neediness into it right excuse me you don't want to do that because that will take you over to the other end you want i mean at the end of the day i think what secure attachment style is is um it's this so where does insecurity come from i, I think it's from if i am vulnerable with you and you don't embrace that, then I will get hurt, right? I think that's kind of the underlying thing. So if what we do is that if I am vulnerable with you, you can react however it is you're going to react. I trust myself to be okay. And I think that's what a secure attachment style is in the sense okay. that like, if, if you and I have a fight, it's okay, like it sucks. I wanna mm -hmm. settle this, I want us to be okay, but I know that at the end of the day, I'm going to be okay, no matter how this plays out, because I have trust in me. And I think that's what a secure attachment style is. And that's kind of the center we always want to be moving towards. 
Well, this makes sense of why I feel like I'm getting closer and closer to that is because that's kind of what I'm getting like with life, with just mindfulness and, and um, you know, having the model that only good things happen and just like really like meditation and all that keeps me from those flight or flight responses. So I'm always staying in wherever I am in the moment is perfect and I'm happy no matter what. Like I'm, there's opportunity in every moment where I am to be blissfully happy and enjoy the situation no matter what's going on. So. I've been really in this thing where no matter where I am, say I would have to go visit the in-laws and that doesn't sound fun to me usually in the past. Now I'm like, okay, this actually is going to be fun because it's going to be new opportunities that I can enjoy. So I'm really good with whatever happens for the most part in life. Mm -hmm. Now I'm getting better and better with that. And so I think that's why my secure attachment is starting to become more and more um, to me, if that makes sense. So that's yeah. what I think I'm seeing, at least in my subjective perspective, but you probably would agree with that. Yeah, so much. Yeah, yeah. So cool. Okay. All right. Um, anything else on that, babe? Do you have any anything you're doing? I did. Uh, You've been quiet. Yeah, I'd love to know what you think and like what's your journey been with your attachment style so far? I'm just very anxious. hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent anxious. I feel you. Girl, yeah, yeah. So I was going to ask you, so what you're interested to, so you would recommend more walking away rather than trying to work out a fight um, in the immediate, in the immediate, uh, I guess I would recommend, um, taking space for yourself to center your emotions. Yeah, because that's where I always have problems. I'm always feeling all these effing emotions. And I'm like, ah, I can't get through my emotions. Yeah. And you know me, I love emotions. He really loves them a lot. Yay, she's being emotional again. Yay. <laughs> and then we just spin circles for hours because I just, and then my emotions get heightened and heightened and heightened and heightened and heightened. And then I'm freaking out. I, th I think taking taking a, a beat to yeah. center yourself and to center your emotions. And um, I think the other part of an anxious attachment style, and I'm only realizing this now, like one of my journeys, especially in recent years, has been very much concentrating on um, learning how to draw boundaries because that's something that I'm really, really bad at. And I would wager a lot of anxious attachment styles are also really bad at drawing boundaries. Um, yeah. Because the nature of a boundary is, if you if, if X happens, Y is a consequence, right? That's yeah. that, that's a boundary. And usually, with ourselves, with anxious attachment style, we're really bad at drawing the boundaries because we just keep pushing them off and off and off. So we never bring the Y consequence because it's really hard for us because we just we just want that attachment. We just want to pull it towards us, and we're willing to sacrifice so much for it. So that I makes was, so much sense. Yeah. In in the moment, tell your partner, hey, I need a beat. I'm gonna go meditate, journal, whatever your process is to figure out what's going on. And also as you're figuring out what's going on and all those emotion, emotions are running wild, ask yourself, what emotion am I feeling? And what is my boundary right now? Like mm -hmm. what is the boundary that is being crossed that is causing this fight? And what are, like, what is the boundary? So what is the behavior that happened and what is the consequence? And then ask yourself, am I going to draw that consequence? Am I going to draw that boundary or not? And I think that's probably 
like really mind you like it sounds all easy in theory but this shit is yeah, yeah right. too. like i'm thinking back to one of my like most intense relationships and this was with somebody who's very avoidant style so like anxious uh attachment style with somebody who's avoidant attachment style oh, is like right. so bad because yeah. we would have a fight and all i would want to do is discuss it and settle it and all she would want to do is take off for a day and right. go deal with and i would just be falling apart and she would just emotionally shut down right wow. and it, so it's not an easy thing to do by any means but yeah. i think for for us for anxious attachment style figuring out what the boundary is yeah it's probably well, a really important question to ask ourselves well and then speaking of boundaries v i think that's challenging because with boundaries it's one of those things where it seems like we we can get selfish and then we can start thinking that people need to do everything for us, right? And it's hard to find an actual boundary. For example, you know, Esther Perel talks about, we're trying to get the needs of a whole tribe met through one person. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. So it's like saying like, well, my boundary is this and then this and then this, and now we're trying to draw this perfect relationship in our head and we're creating an unrealistic set of boundaries. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any, uh, thoughts around that is like how to know when there's too much boundaries and then there's what not. Do you mean, what do you mean by an unrealistic set of boundaries? Give me an example of a boundary that is not realistic. Um, I'm uh, so what I'm thinking, what comes to mind is is like if I set a bunch of boundaries because I want her to be perfect. So it's like, okay, well then uh, I want someone who's going to do the dishes when they wake up. That's a boundary of mine. No, 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 that's, <laughs> not a boundary. that's not a boundary. A boundary is a request. When, X happens, <laughs> when X happens, why is the consequence? Okay. And why, okay. let me make this clear. Why is a consequence that is 100% in my control, right? So if right. you don't do the dishes, then I will not cook. Oh, That's a boundary, okay. right? Okay. Because I will not cook, or like if the dishes are not cleaned, it doesn't even have to be a you thing. If, if, um, if the dishes are not cleaned, it's actually better if you take out the use and use I statements, right? Yeah. Um, if the dishes are not cleaned, I will not cook, then that's a boundary because the consequence of that is all in your control. That's like, that's the nature yeah. of the boundary. So like, if, if, if I can't communicate with my partner about sex, then I will not be in that relationship, right? Okay. Like that's a boundary The I, the, the consequence has to be completely in your control. So that's why I asked the question. So like to bring it back to the question is like, give me an example of a boundary that is not realistic. Okay. That's great. Okay. So I think that like for, for me to really go deeper on this, I have to have more personal experience with it because I never really thought about it in those, like on that kind of context, I yeah. guess <laughs> we're bad at boundaries. <laughs> so, but, um, it's really, think, really good. I think most of us as humans are bad at boundaries. And I think that's how we all end up in codependent relationships because the nature yeah. of a codependent relationship is one that doesn't have boundaries. Yeah. I was going I to, so that's one of the biggest, qualities i would say of a secure attachment style is that it's somebody who can draw those boundaries totally oh great okay yeah okay because i guess i am the only, the one drawing the boundaries usually she's not usually drawing boundaries and i'll usually yeah, because i'm afraid if i draw any boundaries yes. i'm gonna lose him yes like i'm like okay well if this doesn't happen like, but i feel like with him doing it to me yeah and that's i think you summarize the anxious attachment style beautifully i'm afraid that yeah. if i draw a boundary i will lose this person and that is so, exactly like 
one of the reasons we need to draw boundaries because yeah like we don't want somebody who's just like having somebody in our life who doesn't have boundaries is like I, I think there's a lot of other things that go into it when we notice that the people in our life don't have boundaries either because then it's kind of like it becomes say i have a, a friendship with somebody who doesn't have boundaries right um who doesn't know how to draw their boundaries then for me to feel good in that friendship it becomes my responsibility to draw their boundaries otherwise i yeah. feel like the asshole who's taking advantage of somebody right Totally. And so oh, boundaries are important all around, right? They're important for totally. me as an individual so that wow. my values are not transgressed. But then it's also for the pe important for the people in my life because if they're not drawing boundaries, then they're leaving a void in that realm and it becomes my responsibility to draw those boundaries for them. And then yeah. you start resenting them almost because because you have to do that work for them almost. Yes, I would imagine. yes. and I yeah. think it, it usually falls in one of two camps. Um, somebody sort of kind of, they don't want to do it, but they end up like, um, well, taking advantage of the person and it becomes a really abusive relationship really quickly and really easily, or mm -hmm. kind of the opposite where, um, it becomes this like extra labor and usually a lot of emotional labor yeah. that somebody has to do to draw those boundaries for somebody else. Yeah. Right? That's great. That's totally. So, Especially in a romantic think, relationship. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, yeah. So I think one thing that me and her will do after this call is we'll write out our boundaries and discuss them with each other. Yeah. And and I think that's yeah. super important to be clear both ways of what those boundaries are as opposed to trying to figure it out in the moment. Not gonna lie, my stomach just dropped, but <laughs> yeah, she's like, oh. <laughs> oh. I mean, I'd like I, to say I, I totally understand that. I do think it's probably a really worthwhile thing to do. I've yeah, noticed that, like like I said, I, for me, mostly like since I moved to California, which was about five years ago, I've, mm -hmm. I've had this journey of learning what my boundaries are or learning mm -hmm. A, that boundaries are important and that I tend to have very codependent relationships with people and that learning how to draw my own boundaries and mind you, I'm not very good at it yet. I'm still, it's a work in progress, but it's, really really hard because there's absolutely a risk of losing somebody losing yeah losing yeah. someone yeah. and it's not just a risk if you if you draw your boundaries it's not a risk it's a guarantee yeah. there will be times when you will lose relationships over boundaries yeah. and it sucks but yeah. the byproduct of it is that the relationships you do have in your life are so much richer and so yeah. much deeper oh, yeah. and more authentic as a result yeah, I guess my thing is, is it's like, I'm always willing for me, like, I, like if someone tells me like, hey, you're crossing my boundary, I'm going to do everything in my power to fix it. And it's more painful for me because it's like, I don't know if I'm worth that to other people. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I won't get that same respect back. No, like with anybody, you know what I mean? Do you feel that way a little bit? So to make sure I understand what you said, you're afraid that if you express a boundary or when you, when you hear someone's boundaries, you do everything that you can to respect that boundary. Mm -hmm. You're afraid that that boundary won't be, or the, a boundary you draw won't be respected for you because yeah. you're afraid. I've got a lot of friends that happen, you know? Because what? 
with a lot of friends that's actually happened where I'm like, hey, like this is about, and then it just like. Well, to me, it sounds like everybody has their own. So my guess that this is just everyone has their own what they're willing to give and take in relationship. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. That's you're really asking for something that they that don't, they don't have not to willing get. to do for sure. Yeah, yeah that's really so, what it is. Like, you know, Brene Brown pops into my head very, very frequently. And mind you, in my house with my roommates, fuck Brene Brown, fuck (laughs) Brene Brown. It's like, it is like a mantra in our house. Anytime (laughs) she frequently, not frequently, but in her Netflix special, she talks about how if you live your life with vulnerability, if you live your life with courage, you will fail you will know pain it's not a risk it's not a maybe it's a guarantee and that's why i think that the secure attachment style part of it is that i am willing to be vulnerable i'm willing to show you who i am and even if you don't embrace that even if you don't receive it even if i end up face planting and in absolute pain it's okay because i trust myself yeah, that's hard. Yeah. And that's, yes, it is. It, it absolutely is hard, but it's also worthwhile. Yeah. It's very, very much worthwhile. And yes, the we will for relationships sure. and yeah. there will be ups and downs and there will be pain, but there will also be really authentic yeah. moments and um, these moments of seeing someone and being seen by someone that are just absolute treasures. And in my opinion, that's what life is all about, is, is the yeah. relationships we have with people. So yeah. I think it's very much worthwhile. Very interesting, very yeah. cool. And and so the last thing on that, sorry guys, the dogs. Um, one last thing on that is, I talk about a strategy that I found to kind of keep me, I was just thinking about this, kind of keep me more in a secure space, is what I notice is I'll start blaming her or nitpicking her. And whenever that happens, that tells me that I'm dependent on her and I'm trying to keep getting something from her. So I'm a little too attached in that moment. So then I go um, walk by myself, I go spend time by myself and I just fast from her in other words. So I just like, I because it's the last thing I feel like doing in that moment, but I get all the space from her as I can in that moment, that's my cue to go get your space. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is eventually it's like fasting, like eventually I stop craving and needing her and it gets my cup back full and now I have something to give her when I come back. Now I'm in abundance state again. Cause I notice when my cup's not full, I'll be doing that. Mm-hmm. So does that make sense? What I'm trying to say? Yeah. yeah. So for me, that's just a practical strategy. I like nitpicking or, or so, like, okay, no, hold on. Let me rephrase that. What happens with the underlying, whatever it was that was the cause of the nitpick? Are you just so, avoiding that nitpick entirely or does that nitpick just disappear and dissolve because you've dealt with it? Okay, so let me give you an example. Like for example, if I get upset with her, I'll, I'll notice blame comes in for me. So I'll start being mad that she's not giving me enough affection. And then I'll start kind of like being upset at her and I'll be like, well, I just wish you would just give more affection. <laughs> and then I turn to a little baby for a little bit. And then uh, what happens is I realize, okay, my cup is not full on my own and I'm trying to, I'm in a relationship to get something, not give something, okay? And so then what I do is I separate myself because I'm in a needy state to even think that way for me. And so when I'm in that needy state, I'm trying to get something from her. So I need to separate myself and go get emotionally refilled and full on my own. 
And then once I'm emotionally fulfilled on my own, then I can come back after usually a couple hours. Then I can come back and then I feel good because I'll, I'll figure I'll just do something that fills me up on my own emotionally. Um, and then uh, then when I come back, I'm not in that needy space anymore. And now when I love her, it comes from a place of not need, but it comes from a place of just extra bonus, like uh, icing on the cake, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And in that, in that moment, while you're taking your space, Alex, what's going on in your head? Or you It depends on if I know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, like if I know that there's something's wrong, then I'm just like, oh. he's gonna walk in, he's gonna be like, I don't wanna be with you anymore. I, I just figured it out and you're not what I want. <laughs> okay, I figured it out. <laughs> I figured it out. Uh, we're packing our bags and you're moving out. <laughs> no, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, interesting. Okay, all right, um, let's move on to love languages really quick. You guys yep. are down. So, okay, so the five love languages, there are five? Five. Okay, yep. so five love languages is quality time, touch, acts of service, uh, gifts, and words of affirmation. affirmation. Okay, so V, let's start with you. So what are your top two love languages? Um, physical touch and words of affirmation. Physical touch and then words of affirmation is number two. I actually don't know which one's number one. They're constantly vying for number one. Um, okay. It used to be words of affirmation was number one and physical touch was number two. But I actually think in recent memory, I think they might have switched places. It's just that my need for physical touch was, was so strong that I was afraid to acknowledge that it was my number one because that need is never, ever full. Like that cup oh. has never been full in my life. I don't ever remember it being full. I know it's yeah. Okay. What's your you okay? So mine is number one is quality time. Number two is touch. Um, and they do send, tend to switch off here and there, depending on which one is more full. Right now, we get so much time together. Yeah. Like so, it's really touch. <laughs> mm -hmm. But if if uh, but if we weren't spending as much time, that for sure would take precedence. Like I need I need the quality time. Yeah. Um, but I would say. Um, yeah, that's my order. What about you? Extra service and words of affirmation and physical and uh, quality time. <laughs> so it's like a three-way. <laughs> three <-way>. But <laughs> um, acts of service is at the top. Yeah. And then you said what? What were the other? Uh, words of affirmation. Words, words of, of affirmation. affirmation. Okay. So this so is what's super interesting for you guys because your top two overlap. I know. Yeah, that's that's what's so interesting to me. So here's what's funny to me about this is it just dawned on me that I'm not showing her love in the way that she wants to show love because she's always doing the acts of service for me and I don't value it that much. I'm like, you did the dishes, that doesn't mean you love me. <laughs> like, right, like, but it's really funny because we're trying to show each other our, uh, our love languages. We, we're giving what we would want. Mm -hmm. And yes. it's so weird to rewire your brain to remember to do it the opposite. So I just got conscious of this and I'm like gonna try to start doing it to, yeah. because I think that that would go such a long way if I do more acts of service for her as opposed to just giving her the touch and the yeah. quality time. I give her a lot of touch and she doesn't really give me enough touch in my yeah, brain. Yeah, see, I'm like, I'm giving a ton in my brain. I'm like, he's like, yeah. you never touch me. I'm like, <laughs> She's what? like, I'm, I'm literally not touching you ever. Yeah. But uh, so I just think it's fascinating how we give what we want and then we're very blind 
to doing the opposite love language. But it's I, a very I, hard I, thing to do. Yeah. Uh, I think, and again, this isn't just in romantic relationships, I think in platonic relationships as well. Yeah. Want, like, it, it, it's not treat other, but treat people as you want to be treated, it's treat people as they want to be treated. Oh, great, right? great point. Yeah. So, yeah, showing your love in the way that your partner receives love is really, yeah. really important. Yeah, do you think that that is a make or break in a relationship? Because would you say the actions are, would you say, I mean, not like the love languages, would you say they're needs or wants and desires? I, I mean, I only have my own personal experience to go off of, but I would say my top two are my needs and everything else needs. is a desire. Okay. So like okay. my, my third one is quality time. Um, Well, I mean, I, I, I don't know how you can have a relationship without quality time because then yeah, that's not a relationship. Relationship, um, yeah. <laughs> like that's um. Because I know people who literally date and they see each other twice a week or once a week or once a, uh, twice every two weeks. I can't. I know a lot of people that do that, and to me, I'm just like, what? Yeah, that's insane. how is that even a relationship? But to them, I think it is. <laughs> I think it works well, for them I mean, if they both don't value quality time. Well, quality time isn't quantity of time, I guess. Yeah, it's just having the quality of time that you have together. Yeah, I mean, you, you can live with somebody and not spend quality time with them. Yeah, right, that's, that's very true. Because quality time is like sitting and connecting and really being present with somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's a really interesting question. I think it's one of those things that if your love languages are similar, then it is probably, um, easier in the relationship, but that's not to say that if your love languages aren't similar, that you can't make the relationship work. Right. I think it's, it's kind of like, like my roommates, I moved into a place with uh, three other people back in February and we all decided to do this in December. And we decided on a Friday night and by Sunday we had a place. Like wow. it all fell together so easily and so quickly. And living with these guys for the past six months has been just an absolute treasure. And we all universally agree that this has been one of the best, if not hands down the best living situations that we've been in. And a couple of months ago, so like a couple months into living together, the subject of languages of love came up. And as we went around and shared our, our languages of love, we realized that we both, we, all four of us, completely have physical touch and uh, words of affirmation as our top two love languages. Wow. And I think that's mm. one of the many things that contributed to how easy it is for us together because we show and receive love in the same, same way. Oh, yeah. great. Right. So when one of us needs a hug or, or just wants to show that like, hey, I'm thinking of you or whatever it is, physical touch or, or saying like, I love when you do X or I love this quality about you or whatever words of affirmation it is, like it just comes so easily and naturally. And so because of that, we receive the love and we all feel very loved in the house, right? So I think it definitely okay. helps. But that's not to say like one of my closest friends from childhood, one of her top languages, my guess is active services. Um, and we have a very solid relationship. And I think that one of the reasons is because um, 
there's recognition of that. And I know that that's how she receives love. So that is how I show her, her my love, right? So mm -hmm. if you do it without, if you go about it without realizing it, then it can be hard. But if you know that this is how your partner receives love, and this is how your partner feels loved, and you are able to give it to them that way, then that's fantastic. Who, who the fuck cares what your top languages are as long as you're able to show your love that way? So I'm curious, well, I'll ask you first, is do you, do you think that love languages can change throughout your life? Or do you yes, think you, you do. do? Okay, so has yours changed? Yeah, yeah, because I feel like the more confident I get, the less um, important words of affirmation are going to be. The more hmm. I get like love for myself, the less I'm going to need it verbalized from other people. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I actually yeah. I wonder if that's one of the reasons why it moved down from number one to number two for me is because yeah. once I started practicing mindful self-compassion and I give myself those words of affirmation, then I don't seek it externally yeah. as much. Yeah. But you know, I can hug myself as much as I want, but it's not going to be the same as somebody else. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah. yeah. It makes me want to rethink mine and because I've been saying this for so many years yeah. on autopilot, but now I'm like- Since you've changed so much. Yeah, I changed a lot, man. I, I, I'm going to reprocess those now. I was just on him. I think quality time has went down for him. I don't think, I think physical touch is definitely one of your top. You think? For sure. Okay. Cause that's what I hear you begging for the most with like yeah. when it comes to like love or like what I can do to show you love. Yeah, it does make me uh -huh. feel like loved, yeah. Yeah, but I don't know about quality time cause you want to spend a lot more time alone now. Well, I'm doing that out of strategy. Yeah, It's not like I want to. Right. Like I just feel like I need to because it works for me. Right. It keeps me balanced. It right. keeps me healthy in the relationship. Right. Yeah. Um, interesting, what were you gonna say V? Oh, uh, with regards to physical touch, like there is, you know, we, there is a lot of value to actually offering yourself physical touch. Oh. Like there's a physiological yeah. reaction that happens in our body that wow. when we like, whether like, and you can, there's actually this meditation exercise um, that you can do and just slowly like work your way through your body to see where you're. <laughs> <laughs> For those on the podcast, I oh, oh my gosh, <laughs> this guy. <laughs> That's my physical touch for myself. <laughs> there you go, Josh. You don't need Alex. Who needs a fiance? You got fingers like these. <laughs> you can offer yourself physical touch, and and your body responds to it. Like yeah. you, you yeah. kind of go through and see where your body responds. Like some people feel really good with like just rubbing their yeah. chest. Other people yeah. like caressing their arm a little bit. Like one of the things that I respond, like I learned this when I first started doing mindful self-compassion. Um, I, I, I just caress my cheek a little bit and it's just like instantaneously I calm down. Like it's, mm. it's very, very soothing. So there is very much a physiological response our body actually just like does like physically chill out. Her nervous system calms down. So there is an element to that. Obviously it's not the same as if somebody else does it. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but it still does kind of the job because like for my therapist, every time I go very vulnerable on her, I always try my best go as vulnerable as possible because I want to fix everything. So, but the more vulnerable I go, she points out, 
that I'll start rubbing my arms like this and I'm trying to self-soothe or I'll yep. do this too. And then I'm just yep. trying to self-soothe myself unconsciously and have no idea. And then she's like, look at what you're doing. You're self-soothing. And it helps me get through the tougher emotional conversations, mm -hmm. you know? So that's super interesting. Yes. So do you think there, to segue into the next part, do you think that there's any connection between um, touch being a language and sexuality? So like what someone likes sexually, or uh, do you think there's any connection there? Are people who like touch the most, um, are, do, is there certain things they'll like sexually or what's your kind of thoughts there? I think they're completely unrelated. Okay. Okay. I have a friend who is like, so she's she's very much asexual. She just doesn't have any kind of sexual drive. Like it, when it comes to sexuality, she's like, like a seven year old. Like she just doesn't function that way, right? But and I, I actually think that's a great example. Children, right? They don't think in sexuality. There's no sexuality where children are concerned but they need just as much physical love and affection as anybody else does, if not more, you know? So I, I don't think that there's quite a relationship there now. Okay, got it. I so I think what your sex life looks like, if physical touch is important for you, will be different than what, you know, sex life is for somebody, for a couple for whom physical touch is lower, you know? Mm -hmm. I think that probably, like whether you cuddle afterwards or fall asleep touching together or whatever it is, those oh. probably inform each other, but whether or not having physical touch high on your list means that you are necessarily a more sexual person, I don't think that's related. Okay, super cool. So, like, I want to talk about like sexuality and relationships. I think that me and V were talking offline, and we we're talking about how we we have a theory, kind of maybe it's a theory, maybe whatever what you want to call it. But like, we're thinking like a lot of people have. Um, really, um, there's a lot of um, taboo sexual desires and things like that. And we're all very scared to bring those out. We don't want to say them. And I, I think that everybody has something in there that can be considered taboo, uh, whatever your fantasy is, right? So if you have children, you should probably get them off the podcast right now, <laughs> actually. But, um, but yeah, so whether it's like um, certain fantasies, uh, whether like a lot of women share a rape fantasy or a lot of people share... Uh, multiple partner fantasies or just, I don't know, whatever type of stuff that there can be, right? Yeah, I mean, like, BDSM and kink exist to give language and structure to all of these things that we kind of don't really have language around. And yeah. BDSM and, and kink is, like, a really rich, complex world. And a lot of it is uh, is subjects that are very taboo. Yes. Okay. This is so fascinating to me. Okay, so... Two things is, one, let's explore this world a little bit, but I also want to talk about how to talk to your partner and bring these up to your partner about some things without ju feeling judged or the safe way, how to know when it's safe to ask your partner about them or tell your partner what your fantasies are. And especially, I think, if it involves other people, because then they're going to possibly feel like, well, you just, I'm not enough and you just want to hook up with someone else and like, things like that. So it's like how to have honesty around that kind of conversation for one. And then kind of um, what some of the, should we talk about some of the spectrum of like what, what some, some of these taboo things can be or however you want to take the direction is fine B. But, um, but kind of talk about that communication. You said a really interesting thing that I think is important to address, which is how do you know that it's safe to talk about X? 
And the real answer is you don't. Like okay. that is that is so. I forget Brene Brown's definition of vulnerability, but a key component of it is risk and uncertainty, and that when you don't know the outcome, and in the absence of so, if there is no risk, then it's not really vulnerability. So if you know that it's safe, like if you if that is guaranteed, then a is it ever really guaranteed? And B, then that's not vulnerability. And I think when you're talking about anything that is taboo or something that is historically a like can bring shame or any of those things, then by nature of what you're talking about, like it's gonna be a vulnerable conversation. And there's no way that you can know that it's quote unquote safe. So there's gonna right. be risk involved in that conversation because you don't know how your partner is gonna yeah. Excuse me, respond to it. I think I think there's two parts of really good, clear, open communication. Um, I, I think one part is a willingness to be vulnerable because if you're not willing to be vulnerable, then you definitely can't communicate. If you're not willing to take the risk and to tell your partner, hey, re listen, like I know this is really weird, but I've always kind of had this fantasy of like, I don't know, getting tied up and blindfolded and somebody taking advantage of me or something like that, you know? If you're not willing to communicate that to your partner, then obviously that will never happen. If you're, But then the other side of good communication, one side is the vulnerability and the other side is, and, and this is the part, this is why it's a partnership, is creating a space that is safe for vulnerability to exist, yeah. right? And I think that's something that gets overlooked a lot, especially in Western culture, where it's kind of like, well, you should have said so, right? Like, if this is what you wanted, then you should have told me. But then the other side of it is like, well, if you want me to tell you things, if you want me to be vulnerable with you, then make an effort to create a space that is safe for me to be vulnerable, or where I feel as safe as it is possible to be vulnerable. So to answer your question about when is it safe to communicate that to your partner, it, it really depends on you and how you communicate with your partner and how you feel and your risk tolerance, your, your tolerance for vulnerability. You know, for me, when it comes to BDSM and kink, because I am very kinky and BDSM is definitely something that I'm all about, um, certain elements of the community, of course, um, <laughs> not all of it. Uh, but that's something that I bring up with my partners very, very quickly because that is one of the non-negotiables for me, right? And so, but the flip side of that is that on like a more surface level, just sharing with my partner that I have these broad kinks or something like that is not very vulnerable for me because for me, there's not much risk because if somebody's like, ew, that's gross. I'm like, well, go fuck yourself, whatever. You know, for yeah. me, there's not a lot of risk, but for somebody else, it could be something that they're carrying so much shame and discomfort and all of these other things that for them to share that, hey, you know, I, have always been dreaming about being able to tie up a girl and just do whatever the fuck I wanted to her without her being able to say stop, right? Like, and that for the record is like when it is safe and communicated and there are certain rules in place like safe words and all these other things, like that can be a really intimate experience with somebody mm -hmm. or just a really physically great one, you know, whatever, as long as you're safe about it. But that's a really scary thing to share with somebody. Like, right. because there is a lot of judgment on something like that. 
That's so, interesting. And and I think that like it's I did I was unaware. Uh, I didn't even know what really BDSM even was. So well, here's little, a question: Do you know what the letters stand for? I was literally just gonna ask that. I don't know. Uh, bondage. I have no idea, and I have a bondage, ton of friends domination. into BDSM too. Yes, but it I does. I don't know. So bondage domination, sexual <laughs> and. Even though it's four letters, there's three uh, three, three words of the letters. So there's BD, which is bondage and discipline, then oh. DS, which is domination and submission, and then oh. SM, which is sadism and masochism. Okay, oh. that makes sense. kind of like the broad categories of the various kinds of kinks. But then within that realm, within oh, that world, so like, you could have a DS relationship, so a, a dominant domination submission relationship yeah. that is also has some SNM in it, or you could have that one that sense. doesn't have any SNM, or you can have a relationship that's SNM without any um, domination in it, or you can have bondage that's without SNM. Like you could have very many flavors of all these things. That makes sense. One of my good friends talks a lot about dom sub, and then yes. I'm just like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> You know what's what's That's very interesting? What's, what's very interesting to me about this is it actually sounds like such a healthy being, and I think it has a stigma that it's not healthy. But to me, it sounds extremely healthy because it's a safe way to um, to explore more sexual desires. It and, absolutely, is. And, yeah. and it's an education thing because it's like you understand language and stuff around it. And it's also like. Like with anything, there are definitely bad apples out there, and there are people who take advantage of the situation. So discounting those assholes, the 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 heart and soul of the community is communication and negotiation. So before you even get into a scene or anything like that, when you're in a what I call a sober state, and I don't mean sober of like clear of any intoxicants, I mean emotionally sober, like. Because, you know, when you're hanging out with somebody and you're horny, like, you're not thinking clearly, you know? But when you're in an emotionally sober state, you have a conversation with somebody about, like, these are the things I want, these are the things I don't want, these are my lines, these are my hard limits, these are my soft limits. Um, and you negotiate, and then the other person shares theirs, and you negotiate what is okay and what is not okay, so that yeah. when things do unfold, there are guidelines. And at any point, you can, of course, as always, rescind your consent. Any person can always say the safe word and then things stop, right? What? There's a whole world of this that I had no idea about. Did you have any idea about I this? knew about the safe word stuff, but only because I, I, I watched 50 Shades I was just going to say, I was like, you just got that from 50 Shades of Grey. I knew I, I can send you guys this online comic that is one of my favorite things where BDSM is concerned and also like, like, it's illustrated just beautifully. It's a wicked hot comic um, about about BDSM. And it kind of also gives you some of the broad strokes about what it is that attracts people to that world. But it, the awesome, like, it gives language to things that we might not have language for, right? Like, a lot of people might, like, A lot of, for example, a lot of girls like it when their hair gets pulled, right? Um, and that is something that may or may not come up during sex, right? 
Um, if you can communicate that, then that's great. But also if you go one level deeper, like one of the reasons why, obviously this is not for everyone, but like I would wager one of the components of why a lot of girls like their hair pulled is because it's a very dominant kind of move and it makes them feel uh, probably wanted, but also more like, I mean, one of the nature like domination is like, I guess an element of being taken care of and all of that like wanted and taken care of and like, yes, I want this right now, you know, like, and if you are able to communicate that, like that, what I want from my partner, like say you're negotiating and that I want to be dominated and I want to feel wanted. I want to feel like physically, there's nothing else that you want right now than me, you know, then they know that. And then they can communicate that in whatever way that they choose that are within the guidelines. So it, it creates this context around sex, this language around sex that like in the vanilla in the vanilla world, we usually don't have those conversations. We have this assumption that our partner will figure it out just from our moans and groans, but that's not always the case. Yeah. And it's also really a lot harder to explore if you don't know what you don't know. Right. Yeah. So how important do you think it is to sexually explore in relationships? I mean, person or the couple or I mean that I think the most important thing is with regards to sexual compatibility is that there is sexual compatibility that, that if one person has a really high sex drive that the other person knows that acknowledges that and is willing to meet them there or also has a really high sex drive but if you have somebody mm -hmm. with a high sex drive and somebody who's an asexual in a relationship in a monogamous relationship that shit ain't gonna work out. Like, it's not. Sooner or later, that is going to become a problem. It's like one person wanting kids and the other person not wanting kids. Sooner or later, that's yeah. gonna come to a head. You know, because one person's needs are not gonna be met. Yeah. So do you think, cause we talked about this on the last podcast, um, what, do you know what you N-I-D-H-I. Natty? Naughty, Naughty. Something. something like that. Naughty. Naughty. <laughs> yeah. I did not mean to do that. Okay. So we talked about this and she was saying that sex is for, we're still animals, sex is for procreating purposes only. I mean, not only, but that's what, that's where it's an animalistic um, um, action, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and what, um, and so she was saying that like cheating doesn't mean that just because you cheat on someone doesn't all go away. She was like, saying like, it doesn't throw out everything you've done for each other. Like, yeah, you know. she said that's ridiculous that because you acted in an animalistic way, you know, then that. I but this, this okay. also goes right into, which is another subject entirely, is how do you define cheating? Yeah. And I think right. that's another conversation that you need to have with your partner because each partnership is going to have different definitions. And if yeah, one partner thinks that kissing somebody is cheating and another partner thinks that developing feelings for somebody else is cheating, then you're going to have like, you're going to have problems, especially if you don't communicate that. And especially yeah. if you don't align on that, you know, like one person might, um, I mean, it's very possible in a relationship to have different, like, you know, it's okay for you to go sleep with people because that's, that doesn't bother me, but it's not okay for you to go develop a crush on your coworker. You need to yeah. tell me that shit because that's going to hurt me deep. Right. Yeah. Right. And it might okay. be vice versa. where like, Oh yeah, you can go have crushes on all your partners, but like, but don't you dare kiss somebody because that's going to hurt me yeah. deep. And, and like the thing, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I guess where, where I was, where I'm going with this is that I think is interesting is, is, 
if that's okay. So the animalistic part, right? So what happens if you lose sexual desire or something for your spouse? Like, do you, do you feel that like, because they don't have to be in love, this was, this was, uh, man created like there's nothing in evolution that is monogamous and 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 um marriage and all that's not it's not built in evolution in our in our you know code it's just something that I mean, we created yes and no Th those are man-made concepts yes but we evolved in such a way especially for women because we have a nine-month gestational period for our offspring we evolved to want something along the lines of monogamy because we need because women need somebody around to protect them and the child during those early, like some, some animals out there, the kid comes out, the baby comes out and they're like independent and often functioning on their own. You know, like our babies come out, you can't even hold them. If you don't hold them properly, you like, you know, they're fragile yeah. little things. And so because yeah. of that, evolved for this thing that we kind of call, it doesn't have to be like lifelong monogamy, but there's an element of, women have evolved to seek partners that will offer that security for them long enough for the child to become independent, right? Okay. So there right. is that element. It might not be lifelong monogamy, but it is monogamy at least for a couple of years so that, you know, after, during the pregnancy and the child, there's some kind of care going on because a woman is like not capable of providing that care for, her, for herself and for her baby. At least there's a, mm -hmm. Sometimes well, but where I'm going with this is so what 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 do you think if you get in that position where it's like you 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 lose sexual whatever and you go back to your animalistic desires you want to acknowledge them and all that stuff but you also want to be in your this is not me by the way I'm not asking for rain <laughs> but because we would talk about it if so just so you know but like um. What, what happens if you, because what this is my point. I think a lot of people are in relationships where they want to explore more sexually, but they are way too afraid to ask their spouse because they know that they're going to freak out because they're insecurities and it's going to, and they're never going to go for it. And, you know, and the, all that stuff. So do you, so do you think that that just means they hit the point where they're sexually incompatible? Or do you think that um, there's something else that can be done? Because I people think there's something wrong when you desire other people. And I, and, and according to the, like the lady we were talking to earlier, a lot of people is like, that doesn't mean something's wrong. It's just, you have an animalistic um, urge and, and we're, we're not- We're gonna be to people, that's inevitable. What right. we do about it is what matters. And I think, so Esther Perel comes to mind here in terms of like, what does she say often? Um, most of us are gonna have two, three major relationships in our lifetime. If yeah. we're lucky, they'll be with the same person, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's an element of that where there's going to be ebbs and flows with your partner, right? So even if you lose some of that sexual attraction, if you stick it out, then there's a chance that it will come back, that something will happen and your relationship will get a new life at some point, mm -hmm. right? Get a breath of fresh air. Then the other aspect of it is like going right back to what started off this conversation attachment styles and vulnerability, right? If you're willing to be vulnerable and communicate with your partner, and so the communication piece, right? One partner has to create a space. Yeah. Well, both partners are creating space where it's safe to be vulnerable. And then the other side of it is being willing to be vulnerable. If you're willing to be vulnerable and to say like, 
hey, I love you. I'm committed to you. I'm with you. I still think you're beautiful and I'm attracted to you. I'm also really curious to try this thing that I know that you don't enjoy. And I need something new. I, 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 as much as I love you, I just need some newness right now. Um, how would you feel if, and then whatever it is, you know, and there's many flavors of this. Like I, I know, I mean, I live in the Bay area where non-monogamy is quite common. Um, yeah. like to uh, somebody who is monogamous to an annoying point because a lot of the, um, online dating apps, like, you know, I'll get messages from people who are in relationships. I'm like, I'm sorry. No, I'm only interested in a monogamous thing right now, but there's so many different flavors of non-monogamy. And one yeah. of it could be like, okay, you're allowed to go sleep with somebody. Um, I don't want to hear about it. And you're only allowed one night stands. Uh, if you sleep with somebody more than once, that's not okay. Or like somebody I was seeing was also, um, we were just seeing each other for a bit, but he was telling me about uh, his past relationship and with his primary partner, they exchanged fluids, but they were not allowed to exchange fluids with any other partners, any other sexual partners. So that was something that was unique to their relationship. So there's so many different flavors of this. And the important thing is to communicate it. And yes, that involves vulnerability. And yes, that involves communicating with your partner. And yes, that involves maybe getting shut down. And yes, that involves potentially killing your relationship because it might unravel everything if you communicate to your partner that, hey, I'm interested in sleeping with other people. And then they, if they're insecure or, um, you know, avoid an attachment style or other things are going on in the relationship, it might be the thing that unravels you. So that is going back to attachment styles and boundaries. You got to know what is more important to you and are you willing to risk it? And are you going to be okay if everything falls apart? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think it's just sad that people feel so bad if they're like married and they desire someone else, you know? And so it's like, what's the solution there is like, do you just try to do new things with your spouse? But that may not be enough. You might actually like want to explore someone else new. And then it's so sad because people can't communicate it, I feel, and they're stuck. And then they're so, now they're so depressed. They're resenting their spouse now, you create something, and then it's time for divorce. And I feel like that kind of communication is so important because it can prevent so much of this, but it also requires both people to have great communication and be as open as possible. Yeah. Um, I just feel bad for a lot of the married people that feel like their, their marriage, there's something wrong with their marriage if they um, you know, crave other people sexually. Uh, I think we have the stigma where it's like, oh, I'm not fulfilling you enough. I'm not giving you enough. So now you need yes. something else. Yes. And I think that's such a bad um, philosophy around it. I think it just costs and that's a lot. Like, you know, again, back to Esther Perel, like we expect our partner to meet all of our needs. Yeah, and that right. just might not be possible. Not might not be possible. For most of the time that is not possible. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just kind of like the same thing. Like we can't expect a single friend to meet all of our needs, you know? And sometimes we have our friends that we go drink and party with, and we have our friends that we go to for emotional support. And we have our friends that we talk to about our professional life. Like we have different oh. friends that meet different needs. And in yeah. the same way, there's a way that we can approach that in our romantic relationship, that it doesn't have to be expecting the world from our partner. Like right. one of the things that I, I've been primarily in monogamous relationships, but I'm not, I'm, I'm open to non-monogamy, but I know myself enough to know that 
my flavor of non-monogamy is emotional monogamy. I want to be somebody's person. I want to be the most important person in their life, and I want them to be the most important person in my life. But I'm open to sexual non-monogamy. And there's different flavors of that. And for me, I think that is something that can actually, like, bring me closer with my partner in the same way that, like, I think it's really fun to share porn with my partner and kind of like, hey, this is what I think is hot. In the same way, if, if my partner sleeps with somebody else, then they bring that back into the bedroom and that brings more life to our sexual relationship. Yeah, because you, know? you said you think it's super hot if they hooked up with someone and then they came home and talked to you about it, right? Yeah, I want to know what they think is hot. I want them to enjoy themselves. I want to know that they're having fun, you know? And I would love it if like, you know, I mean, this might sound super selfish, but if there's it with somebody else and they're thinking about me and they're thinking about how when they come home and they're going to share with me about what they did, like, yeah, that's hot. And yeah. I, I like, mind you, for me at least, and I can't speak for anyone else because I, I, I know other people aren't like this. For me, that would take a lot of trust and a lot of history built up, a history that that trust can stand on. You know, so it's not like I go into a relationship and it's like that. First, there needs to be a lot of trust built up to know, because like I said, I have that insecure attachment style. You know, if I'm still in an insecure place, then I'm going to be like falling the fuck apart if that happens. But if I'm in a secure place and I know that my partner loves me and I know that they want to come home to me and I know that they're thinking about me, then, then I'm not as insecure about it. And I just want them to go and have fun. Like... I'm yeah. I'm not into SNM, you know. If I if I end up with a partner who is into SNM, then like by all means, go 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 get that need fulfilled because it's not going to be fulfilled with me. That is so that's so interesting, and I think these conversations need to be had more because I, I don't think so. yeah people aren't talking about this, and so many people want this deep down. They hold it in, they build resentment, and then they never get those needs met, and they're unhappy. And I think we still are animals at the end of the day. Like we do have oh, yeah. sexual needs. Like it's they're there, yeah. right? We do. So, we do. Yeah. And and for pretending that they're not there is not doing anybody any service. Like just we gotta communicate about these things. Yeah. Well, and it seems like it really for we I can, we keep talking to people and then include like Alex like it really seems like it comes down to just trust. Like if you feel like you can trust the person, it for a lot of people, right, that have this kind of philosophy, like it's like it seems like if if you like cheat or whatever, as long as they feel like the trust isn't damaged, then uh cuz you can talk about it or whatever, then they're usually okay. It's just more about the trust, not the sexual act as much. Um that's what yes, it's very like much so. Yeah. Well, and that's why I think Aligning on what you think is cheating is really important in a relationship, especially early on, and if any, if it shifts at any point. And then, if cheating does happen, don't try and hide it. Don't try and pretend that it didn't happen. Communicate that with your partner, mm -hmm. because if you lie about it and then your partner finds out, then that is several different pillars of trust that have been broken, not just one. Yeah, right, right, yes. Okay, we can, we can probably wrap it up there. Do you have anything else in that, boo? I don't think so. Uh, anything else, V, you wanna mention before we wrap up? This was a lot of fun. 
Yeah, <laughs> it has so been. We should. We want. I wish. We, we need to have you on again. Yeah. Yeah. We'd love yeah. to. So, yeah. and we can go dive more into any of those topics. Yeah. Those were all great. So there was a few we didn't cover. So we still have. Yeah. Them. There. There's a few. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I want to. There's, there's things more I'm curious about in the last topic that I talked about. So, um, cool. Well, thanks so much. <laughs> Yeah, we should. We should because that's something I think we want to do. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And and I want to expand people's thinking so that they can be honest, like about speaking these things. Mm -hmm. That's big to me for some reason. So cool. Well, hey V, thank you so much for hopping on. It was so fun. So uh, v, where can everyone find you? Where would you want people to find you if they want to find more about V? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I have a Twitter, Versavia Prime, but most of that is my professional stuff, which software engineering. Um, I also have a YouTube channel and a podcast about this rather niche topic called uh, Objective. The name of the podcast and YouTube channel is Objectively Typed. And it's about uh, objective personality system, which is a um, nine-factor personality system that grew out of Myers-Briggs that's very heavily evidence-based that is actually how I know Josh and Alex. Um, <laughs> I absolutely love it. So if you have any interest in, in personality, Myers-Briggs, or self-growth, I highly recommend you check out objective personality system. Um, and yeah, I think that's where you can follow me. I think that's mostly what I have. Okay, cool. so guys, find her on YouTube. Yeah. We'll put her uh, her link on the screen right here or over there. Or we'll put it in the description of the podcast. And well. we'll put it in the description as well. Oh, yeah, if this is on podcast or yeah. you listen on audio, then uh, we'll put it in the description. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, V, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, great combo. Um, you're always amazing. You're always amazing. Yeah, that's right. So, get some rest and then uh, we will catch up uh, in a day or two, okay? Hopefully. All right, yeah. so thanks so much, V. We'll talk to you guys soon. If you guys have, please subscribe. Like and share. Yes, and we can't <laughs> wait to see you guys on the very next episode. This was a lot of fun to chat. Yeah, Bye. let us know what you think. All right, see you guys. Bye.